Welcome back. Thank you once again for hanging out with us. This is the one and only IT in the D show. I'm your host, Bob Walton Spiel, hanging out with co-host and producer extraordinaire, Randy Walker. Guest this week, Eddie Ada. He's the CEO of E&E Tech. We're going to be talking about small business entrepreneurship, um, IT and small business. And then his, he's also a podcaster and he, his favorite episode is why IT companies suck. He's totally my people and I can't wait to dive into that. You can find us online, IT in the d.com and do us a favor give us a like on socials subscribe to us everywhere find podcasts are sold we had our first meetup of the year and we found a new venue randy and i think we found a new home yeah um, i like this place we're at urban rest over on woodward heights in ferndale and uh it's a huge little place they make their own beer they make phenomenal beer and uh we had a private room which we've lacked since like the old blackfin days so there's no more are you guys with the group nope we're all in the same room so we're going to be there until they kick us out every month. So uh, find us on meetup.com slash itinity for the schedule. Third Thursday, five o'clock. Be there. We'll even set up the banners again so that we're even easier to find. That just as long banners. as I, I like to it. bring them. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Eddie, how are they treating you, man? You doing all right? Oh, well, it's, uh, you know, it's not late in the IT world, but, uh, I've, I've changed my schedule and I wake up so early now for some reason and, uh, it's, it's late. Listen, if you're uh, if you're not checking Teams or texts or emails at nine o'clock at night, you're not in IT. I got in that habit. I don't unplug. I've never unplugged, and when I'm on vacation, I'm not unplugging. So yeah, I think it's just the nature of the beast of being in this business. Yeah, it's funny you say that because when uh, when I got married, we went on a, a honeymoon, and on that honeymoon, I took no technology because we were just such a a baby company. And I looked at my wife and said, "This will be the last time you ever see me without my laptop, my phone." And, and being on it while we're on vacation. And she understood. Hopefully we'll see, you know, when I take an actual vacation one day. The an actual, from a tip from someone that's been married for uh, 20 years with the same girl for 25, when your time to do your technology or to do your stuff to keep up is when she's in the shower and getting ready. So like everything comes out, like she goes, she goes, take a shower. Okay, cool. I'm doing email. I'm cleaning out everything. I'm, you know, setting reminders i'm doing stuff you know and then when she comes back i'm like cool you know that way you know yeah you still get a relaxed vacation um, I, I had that luxury and then we had a kid so <laughs> that all changed yeah. everything that goes away so yeah. you did something that i've been talking about doing for 20 years and never did you took the you took the turn from you know being you know an employee to uh basically an employer and started a company you know again i'm always fascinated about it people that you know just threw it up and said let's do this like how'd you start E&E tech let's go let's go back to the early days the origin story starts when i was literally 10 years old i I, uh, the first iphone came out and i said i want to develop a stylus for this phone this is no joke this is a real story and uh, at the time there's no stylus out there right because it was it was a touchscreen phone with your finger wasn't supposed to have a stylus and uh had my uncle ray who was kind of into technology not really just a little bit and as a 10-year-old, I said, we're going to develop this stylus and we're going to call it R and E tech, right? And, uh, you know, I'm 10 years old. Lo and behold, nothing ever came of that. But I held on to that name for such a long time that when it kind of came time for me to say, I want to do this for real, I dropped the R and I put the other E because my first name's Eddie, starts with an E. My last name's Ida, starts with an E and, and birthed E&E tech. Funny enough, I actually incorporated the company when I was 16 years old in high school. But it sat dormant because... I really knew like I needed to go out into the field and learn what the heck I was doing before just grabbing clients. And so through high school, I worked at my high school while I was a student, one of the only students to do that. 
uh, in technology and media as well, because it's kind of blended at the time. And then went off to college for cybersecurity. Never finished college, but went to college for cybersecurity for a little bit and decided, you know, I'm, I'm going to go get a job. And so got a job in IT at a, a nonprofit. Stayed there for quite some time, bounced around, you know, left there, went to a large software company, did IT there. And then through, you know, through the years, I learned a lot. I learned a ton. I learned what to do. I learned what not to do. And not just in technology, but leadership, teamwork, team building, management, all, all these things. And I, I love like people watching, right? I observed the heck out of everything. And, and so it was COVID 2020, the magic year, right? Everything was going downhill. And I went back to this nonprofit where I was working um, for, for a short period of time. And, and they all sent us home. So I'm sitting there working from home, working from home. And the task became smaller and smaller. And I didn't have as much to do because obviously everyone's sitting at home and there's not a whole lot going on. One day I, I kind of woke up and I decided, you know what? I, I'm I'm going to now make the jump, take the risk and just do it. And mind you, I have, you know, I had a wife. I had, a, I think at the time I had a kid on the way. And uh, it was a little bit nerve wracking. Honestly. And, uh, I don't know. I, I took the jump. I, I said, you know, we're going to start acquiring some clients. I acquired a few clients and I, I got enough to like pay my bills and that was it. And it just exploded from there. I mean, we were doing some really cool things during COVID that really helped us. We were offering free IT support for businesses who couldn't work from home and it, it just took off. And so that was two years ago and we've really built a good company since. I think that was everybody's fear when they jumped in was paying that first bill when you left. Oh um, yeah, it's so you know scary. most of the guys I knew that jumped on their own either got a like a one year severance or they you know they they had the client before they left or they pulled one with, uh, but no hat, hats off to that especially during COVID man we no one knew what was going on then. Um, I didn't you know yeah. we didn't know if we'd be working from home forever you know I got to sit on Teams calls till the end of time. But yeah, <laughs> it's a pretty crazy time. But yeah, no, I, you said something that made me laugh being a people watcher. Um, I'm a well-known professional people watcher and I will go to the flea market once a month just to get my fill. And uh, I was able to hit the old Dixie lane flea market in Waterford this weekend. And uh, I feel liberated. I feel like it's me again. Um, <laughs> the place is just absolute gold. If you've never been there, you need to go. My buddy was there for like an hour and a half looking through dollar comics. It was a, uh, it was a glorious time. That's um, so how did you settle on like what, you know, you talked, you talked about it support. What, what did you settle on in terms of, what you were going to do. Did you try to reinvent the wheel? Did you try to bring something new to the market? Did you try to do something that's tried and true? I guess. So how did you settle on what you're going to do? That's a great question. So when I made the jump, I had like a couple clients with me because I did acquire some. They were small. And at that point, you're just treading water, right? I'm here to fix your computers when they break. And that was really like the base of it. But what I did really early on was I said, hey, we're going to charge a monthly subscription for me. At the time, it was just me. And uh, I framed it as, as a company, but it was really just me. And so when we started to do that, there was a lot of shops that were still break fix as, as you know, the terminology goes, which is just where you charge someone per hour, right? To go do a job. And that's kind of it. They call you when you, they need you. And, and you're really reliant on those, those projects. So one of the first things I did was, Hey, I'm not going to charge you per hour fee. I'm going to charge you a monthly fee to do everything for you. And I'm going to cover it. That was a big sell, uh, success and a big seller. But what really, really helped was when I went against these companies that were already doing that, I was saying, hey, I'm contract free. If you hate me, if you really don't like what we're providing you service-wise, kick us to the door. We'd, we'd be happy. We don't want that that poor relationship between the two of us. And like that value has kept all the way on to today. Like We're still completely contract free and we probably will be forever. But as we expanded, 
right? Through COVID, we learned that people were having some issues. People also started hiring out of state. And, and my goal is to be the hands-off IT for my clients, right? I, I don't want them to touch anything. I want to handle it all for them. You know, some clients have different levels of involvement. That's totally cool. But our goal as a company is to be completely kind of hands-on for them, uh, or rather hands-off for them, hands-on for us. And so we actually moved to a new facility in Livonia here, um, 2021, yeah, October 2021-ish. And when we moved here, we built a little fulfillment center in the back. And with that, that's just a fancy word for a warehouse and a shipping table, right? And the goal was for our clients, hey, you can buy the laptops through us. They'll sit in our warehouse inventoried for you. When you hire somebody, we'll take the laptop off the shelf. We'll set it up for you. We'll box it. We'll put a label and we'll send it to your employee. And when they get it, we'll have them set it up. They'll be all set. And if they leave or whenever that happens, we'll send them a box. We'll send them a label and they can send it right back to us. And so kind of kind of taking that outside approach of I'm not going to touch that or I'm not going to touch this. It's kind of that. Let me be your IT department, not just the company you pay when you need help. And so taking on that approach. Right. And, and remember, like, as you said, I was an employee before. And so just trying to remember how that felt when I needed something from my company, kind of taking that approach and putting it into a, into a business model. So I wouldn't say we're reinventing the wheel per se, but we're, we're just taking everything, enhancing it. Quick support, quick service, no band-aids, et cetera. Right. So that was, uh, I'm pretty passionate about the space. I've been in and out of it. I've been in the vendor space for a very long time. And that was always my thing. It's like, why are you building a data center? Why yeah. do you have your own like support staff? Like, what do you make? Oh, you make tires? Like, you be the best tire maker. I'm the best IT person. Let me do me. You do you. You know, try, stop trying to, uh, I have too many companies now that are in this weird shift of, you know, we were a car manufacturer for a hundred years, but now we're a technology company. Well, and are you though? Company. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Well, then switch router companies going, oh, now we're a security company. Like, are you? Are you? And and I understand the whole push with, you know, digital transformation, but it's one thing to reinvent, I guess, what puts uh, food on your table, right? Which is what you make Certainly. or what you manufacture or what you put out there. Certainly. And I tell my team the same thing, like, hey, when we need something internally, there is some chance that we want to hire it out. And there's 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 a give and take, right? It's control and, and having it internally. But there are really, really good companies out there that can take care of that for us. And so why don't we trust the people who do it best? Have them teach us what to do and then rely on their expertise to, to propel us forward because otherwise we're going to be stuck in the same rut year after year after year. There's a reason why I didn't dig through my breaker box this weekend and I hired an electrician to come over and he was done in 15 minutes. And I, I, that was the best money I ever spent because I know what would have happened if I would have went through it. But I, yeah, I think more people should uh, um, go down that route because, you know, landscaping, absolutely. I'm hiring it out. There's no way. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. So security has got to be on your mind every day because you're obviously it's, it's a thing for your clients. And I started to understand that small business, it became real for small business when they were, had to buy, where they were forced to buy cyber insurance and they were making them buy acronym products that they never heard of before. Um, yeah. and they were just like, yeah. I need to buy some stuff. And so, I mean, how do you, so I went through this at the time doing small business IT and I remember running it past a CISO friend of mine. And I said, I'm trying to do poor man's zero trust. Is this past the sniff test? And he's like, add this, you're good. It's, it's actually pretty good. I mean, how do you, how do you look at security, especially when you're talking to small businesses that for them, this is a, this is a, you know, let's be candid. It's a bullshit check. They got to write because it's, it's worse than insurance because they don't see it. Um, so how are you tackling cybersecurity in this space? Great question. It, it's a multi-layered approach, right? You have, uh, uh, different audiences here. You have businesses who want to protect their IP, intellectual property, or whatever they may have, or protect, you know, staying 
online. You have businesses that are, are required to do it because their cyber insurance companies got smart after paying out tons of money and changed the requirements. And then you have clients who vendors require it or, or vendors require maybe a, um, a, a compliance. And so you kind of have three buckets to play in and each one requires something a little different. So let's start at the very beginning. IT, uh, sorry, businesses who just want to protect their assets. With our like basic plan, because I just feel bad not doing this, we're always going to give like the antivirus, anti-malware, anti-ransomware, patch management, enforced two-factor authentication across the board, because it just feels wrong not to when it, it's almost no dollars spent. Then take it the next, next step further, right? The business wants to protect it or they've got cyber insurance. When we crafted our cybersecurity package, this was before cyber insurance companies got smart about paying out all this money. And so what we did was we looked at the NIST standards, right? And the five pillars of NIST and said, okay, what products do we need to cover the five pillars of NIST, which is identify, protect, detect, respond, and recover, right? Really, really easy to remember. Uh, I pulled up a chart because I can never remember it, to be honest with you. (laughs) And, And so what do we do in this package to protect our clients so that way they're kind of covered across the board. And so my, my background being in cybersecurity, a uh, little rewind here. In, in When I went to school uh, at a university, I won't mention the name, I actually breached into the cybersecurity division of that school and actually ha- ended up kind of helping them develop some things and, and all that. So like I, I go back to being that hacker in a sense and kind of knowing the ins and outs of how to get in. So we built this this package that that kind of covers it from two-factor authentication to locking down the computer to finding things that are like stuck in memory that normal antivirus can't detect, network firewalls. And it's really not extremely complicated per se, but it's things that you just don't think about on a day-to-day. And what we found was as we started implementing this for clients, that the ones that we're willing to pay because it's not cheap at all, not even to us, was that they would send us those cyber insurance forms and we'd be able to check yes on all the boxes. That wasn't intentional. I didn't say, hey, cyber insurance company, what's your list? We just built out this this platform that followed the NIST, and, and everyone else seems to follow the NIST, obviously, because it's kind of the gold standard. And uh, and that that was really it. It really isn't crazy complicated. The crazy complicated thing is teaching the staff or hiring out the people who know it and can run it very well. Because now, now you're the insurance company. Now you're the one who's going to be at risk if your client gets breached, right? And so uh, there, there's a lot of ins and outs of that. I mean, I, I could talk about it for three to four hours. I'm not going to bore the half of you, but I mean, really, there there is a lot to it. But it's also quite simple if you just kind of take a step back, look at what people need, and look at what people want, and kind of find the happy middle. You kind of hit the nail on the head. I go, it's not really about the two factor and the firewall and the you know EDR stuff and the sock and everything. It's about Timmy and accounting clicking that God blessed link. Um, awareness becomes a huge part of this. What are you doing to train Timmy to not click that God blessed link? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And and we call that, and you probably heard this from other people, we call it the human firewall, right? Sure. It's actually one of the most important things of cybersecurity. And even if it's not clicking a link, it's, and this has happened, someone gets breached, they don't know it, you know, via email, they get instructions to wire X amount of dollars to, to a vendor that they're expecting. And bad actor goes in there and changes the account number, routing number. They send it because they didn't do it right away. And all the money's gone. So that's not training. That's security. But back to the training portion, right? For our clients, we're, we're asking leadership because this is a, this is a business decision. This is not an IT decision anymore. We're asking leadership to enforce what we recommend for security awareness training, right? So 
at the very minimum, we want to do an annual training with every everyone on staff, whether that's you watch a video and you click through prompts and it's interactive or phishing users. And when they click on it, right, we're going to get reports and alerts on that. They're going to be enrolled in extra training. And, and what we've seen is that it just makes everyone super paranoid. Now, it's all good. Believe it or not, a lot of companies are already paranoid of phishing because they've heard it. They've experienced it. But what they're not aware of is phishing via phone, which is old school, but believe it or not, works. Uh, smishing, SMS, text message phishing, right? Impersonation, et cetera, where, and this happens to us. Someone gets hired. They post on LinkedIn and they work here at, you know, our company. And literally not even a day later, they're getting a text from me from a number. Obviously that's not mine saying, Hey, I'm the CEO. You know, this is Eddie. Uh, I need you to go out buy gift cards for our new employees for appreciation. <laughs> right. And that, that is what's kind of taken the industry by storm now for those like really little small, and 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 things. So, but I think two factor doesn't stop at the click with Microsoft. Two factor involves if you get, you know, a text, you got to call or text because, like, I'm going to throw this in real quick because it reminds me of this weekend. I got an Instagram message from a friend of mine, um, from Brad Who's Randy. If you want to laugh, I get an Instagram message from him, and he's like, "Hey, how's business? How you doing? How what's your initiatives going on?" I go, "I'm doing great, buddy. How are you?" Because I smelt it, and then I text Brad and I said, "Was this you, man?" He goes, "Nope." And then someone spoofed his name, and you know. So then I'm like, I'm going to talk to about how much I'm investing in crypto and see how far this, how long it'll last. And <laughs> sure as shit, three texts later, he's like, hit my buddy up at this number. We'll, you know, we'll start trading. Yeah. So I've seen so many you know, Instagram accounts lately compromised and yeah. But it's funny though, like again, the, 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 there goes with the two factor though. You call your, when, it, when it's someone you know, you call them, you know, and just yes. verify. And, and that's part of our, our training is like, Hey, listen. If you get an email to wire money and you expected that email, the next thing I want you to do before you even log into your bank is call that vendor back on a number that you know and verbally verify that routing number and, and checking number, which by the way, should never be sent over email anyway. Different story. Yeah. yeah. But verbally verify that information with them before you send a dollar because there is a chance, right? No doubt. No doubt. And, uh, that's what I think is 90% of it is it's not even. You know, and you can't even tell them to not click that link because everyone does it. Um, you know, so I said, you know, I, I try to always tell people too, like, there's no link in an email that you should click. If there's something in there from Wells Fargo, go to wellsfargo.com and then log in and then see what's there. Yeah. Um, there's nothing that you, sh- there's zero that you should click. But, um, on top of that too, Microsoft actually has a really good tool now to fake phishing attacks. They do. And, and that's part of their enterprise security that you yeah. have to pay obviously extra for. And, sure. uh, it's not bad, but it's not the best. But it's right. at least it's something. And I've, it's funny. I've gotten kickback. I wonder if you have too from executives that said, I don't want my staff paranoid from their email. And I said, well, that's the wrong answer. You sh- they should be. Because if when you're not, then that's when mistake, you know, mistakes happen. I'm like, I don't understand that philosophy, but apparently it's running around like that side where they don't want the staff kind of sitting on, you know, pins and needles. Yeah. I haven't had that. The biggest kickback I get is I, we still want to have control of our computers, right? Because some of the things that we implement restricts what you can do on your computer for good reason, right? Even installing applications. We want to have, like, we even go as far as building an approved list of applications with your company. And anything that gets installed beyond that, even if you're an administrator, doesn't even work. Because, again, you click that link, you download that file, it runs that exe. I don't care if you're an administrator on the computer. It's not working unless it gets approved through our, our, our help desk, right? Or a cyber desk. If I told people what I did in the late 90s, secure, like CISOs, they would cry. 
between downloading LimeWire and Bonzi Buddy <laughs> and AIM and uh, what was the yeah. oh it was Winamp yeah literally you know, yeah because I was working in data yeah. centers we had a I had a you know hundred meg pipe going to the core router with an EC um, EC three E uh, that's a wrestler the DS three going you know three of them going out of the building you know what I mean I was like a you know bandwidth god yeah I'm gonna take advantage of this yeah um but hey jumping around real quick what's your uh, I gotta get your take this is kind of off topic but like all the layoffs going on in in big tech right now it's uh it's crazy I'm you know I'm in the enterprise space so I, I talked to all the you know all the big tech companies and they're they're letting go of some really, really amazing people. And, uh, I was, I was involved in a big tech layoff like, you know, six years ago. So I'm like, I'm super empathetic about it because I know what it did to me. Uh, what's yeah. your take on what's going on out there? Did they over invest in people and they're retracting or are they, or is this a premonition of they think a downturn in the business? No. So I don't think it's a downturn. I'm actually seeing things really level off. And so there, there's, there's twofold to this. Big companies lose their passion and become money focused. And you can see that in their product, right? When the product starts to diminish, you look at what they're doing and they become super money focused. And so there, there's twofold to a layoff in my opinion, in my eyes, right? During COVID, I think people overhired because I think there was tons of people who worked remotely that actually weren't working and they were overcompensating for those times. And that's not, that's a general overization or ge- general, whatever. I always mess that word up. You got it right. But close enough. But you know, that, that's, that's kind of the, the, the big picture thing. So I think part of it was they, they overhired like crazy because the craze was going on. There's not enough people we need to keep hiring. They keep pushing HR to do more recruiting. They kept hiring, hiring. And then I think they came back to crunch the numbers when, you know, the economy was starting to kind of take a little bit of a dive because people, you know, inherently get scared of that stuff, right? They say, Ooh, you know, we're, we can't, if we go down this much, we can't afford it. So then they start chopping. So I think. Some of it's dead weight. It, it's an opportunity for companies to cut people they don't like because that happens in any crisis, no matter whether the economy is good or not. And, and for the people who are really good at their job, they're cutting them because they cost a lot, right? Because they, they are good players. They cost a lot of money. And it, it's an easier way to chop less people, per se, to, to cut some of those really heavy hitters. It's not the right thing to do because those heavy hitters are likely running your company very, very well. But again, when you're a money-focused organization and you only worry about what that bottom line says, you're not going to do logical things for your business. You're going to do monetary things for your business. And ultimately it, it comes to bite them in the end because these people who are great will end up going, you know, go to land jobs, maybe with a competitor and take that. And you've seen so many people who have gone from this company to this company and has taken this product and gone way up and that product has gone way to crap. Right. And so the, again, there's, there's always more. It's not just two sides to the whole deal. That's kind of my, my take on it. So I was, uh, I listened to another, I listened to, uh, I want to say it was Rogan and he had a tech person on. They were talking about Google and he's like, Google's seeing what's going on in the industry right now. And he goes, if you take a look at like the, the sub, you know, the eight, the, the four, like he called them the kids, but like, you know, for me, it's, you know, the, the, the 16 to 23 year olds or whatever, because they're not using Google to search anymore. They're using TikTok. They're using uh, Snapchat, right? When they want to look for a pizzeria or something near them or when they want to look for. And you think about it with, uh, you know, chat GPT going on right now, you know, there's like some, is search going to go away or is it going to become so manipulated because people can just put out so much content? Is it going to just going to get yeah. watered down? Well, you um, see Microsoft put a big stake. Stake into Chat GPT, billion dollars. What the second stake? First one was a yeah, um, and the, you know I'm not gonna lie, it scares the shit out of me. Yeah, you know, um, 
in a good way and a bad way, right? It's kind of like, you know what it is? It's Google Maps to me. It's, this is amazing. I can go anywhere I want and don't you dare track me. So it's got like this, you know, 1984 feeling, but it's the, one of the greatest tools that they've ever invented was, you know, I, you know, don't need to print off a phone book to travel to Kentucky anymore on, you know, from MapQuest. But like, to me, that's what chat GPT is. It's an amazing tool, but at the same token, it's like, well, wait a minute, you know, are you going to strap these onto those Boston scientific dogs with a sentry gun on it? Now this thing's going to be smarter than all of us combined. It already did. Rainy, did you hear about this? It passed. Um, was it an executive MBA exam? Oh yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And then like from core, uh, from Cornell or some Ivy league school and it like, it like re- read nuance in the questions. Cause they kind of like did them. They weren't typical questions. Son of a bitch passed. I'm like, Oh, that's it. That's crazy. That's it. Skynet. Skynet's starting. So well, well, look at it. Let me take you a step back. What kind of company is Tesla? I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to call them a car company. I, okay. I know that I know they're not, I know you're going to say like, you know, they're a customer data company. They're a, they're a you know, hype company. A, a what Randy hype. They sell hype. Oh yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah, I could, I could see that. See, I get two answers with that question. I get they're a car company and I get they're a software company, but I, I think they're a data company. Yeah. Because their cars are ingesting so much data, not, not just externally, right? Not just the road, not just the conditions, how people drive, how people interact with their car, accidents, potential accidents. I mean, there's, there's a slew of data that that car collects every time you get in and drive it. And listen, Tesla's not the only one doing it, but that's just a great example. Everyone wants data. That's the, that's the thing. Like data or rather knowledge was a commodity. Now data, data is like the thing that everybody wants. And even if you look at early chat GPT, people yeah, are asking. If you, go predictive, if you can go predictive analytics on all the car data that gets transmitted from every single car, you're, you're the, you know, then you're the next trillion dollar industry. Like, Big time, right? For real. Yeah. Look at chat GPT when they first came out. If you ask chat GPT what one plus two was, it might give you the answer four. And then someone says, no, that's not the right answer. It's three. And it's like, oh, my apologies. It literally learns. It's not something that was like, hey, here's an if then statement. Here's a calculator in case I want to ask you a math question. Here's a couple textbooks. You can just search and find stuff. No, no, it's, it's learning from input from users. And so now after that conversation, if I go on and ask it, what's one plus two, it's going to tell me three. But here's my question. What happens when there's a slew of disinformation, right? Well, that's, did you see the one where the guy said, my wife said it's four? Like, I I don't remember what the question was. It's like, what's one plus two? And it said three. And it said, well, my wife says it's four. Yes. And the yes. thing was kind of like, well, your wife is right. Don't get in trouble or something like ridiculous. It was, it was like, by shit. the way. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, so it, it can be, it can be, you know, skewed and modified any way that we tell it to be skewed and modified. So AI, AI is one of those things I agree with you. It's, it's quite scary, but it's also quite exciting because we get to use that to our advantage. And even in the early cybersecurity days, um, have you heard of a company called Darktrace? Yeah, of course. But we were using Darktrace and that was like real AI driven way back yeah. to, to analyze network traffic to see anomalies based on normal traffic usage. That was real AI. That was awesome. But now, I mean, you can go on, on online to, uh, what's Midjourney's the, the newer one now and you could say, Hey, generate me an image of X, Y, and Z and it just, does it better than I, I, mean, I can't draw anyway, but well, that was uh, back in people. 2016. I worked for a um, user um, entity analytics behavior company. It was, it was a SIM. It was the next generation SIM. 
Okay. And I was looking for weird. And the, the guy, it was fascinating. He told me the story of like Edward Snowden. And he said he badged in to an office that he's never been into before at five in the morning, plus one. If you look at it from a traditional log view sim. Yeah. And then he goes, step two, he logged into a server he never logged into. It's just a plus one. Then he changed it to uh, an admin account. Uh, I'm trying to think of the name, but he changed it to like an admin account. Then he pulled it, put a thumb drive in, pulled out files. It's all a plus one. But he goes, if, if you look at this from user behavior, looking for weird red flag city, he would have never left the building. Yep. And, uh, you know, it's, but then again, though, like, the, you know, the whole big, the worst part about security was the false triggers. So this was supposed to alleviate it. It's still, it's nothing's a perfect science. People, they, they tried to pitch it that it was. Well, ultimately, we're the ones who program it, humans, and humans aren't perfect. There, there's no such thing as a perfect system, right? Well, that's what uh, Dave used to always say with uh, software-defined cars. He's like, I know coders, and coders are coders make mistakes, and I don't want, you know, my my autonomous car, my hands to be in the life, you know, my life to be in the hands of a a coder. Yeah. All thing, you know. I mean, yeah, right. I I don't, I don't disagree, except he probably gets on a plane, <laughs> flies itself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, we always talked about if uh, who's programming it, if it hits a like a woman with a stroller or two old ladies, like oh, yeah. that's it's inevitable. Like, what do you program it to do? My, my favorite is if you go online and look at uh, Tesla's testing, not their testing, but someone testing a, a Tesla car. Uh, they like they'll do a simulation where a kid kind of crosses the street. It's a cardboard, whatever, and you would think it'd stop or slow down. It just goes full full speed right oh. into the kid. So. I'm sure that's been, you know, rectified because that was some time ago. But when they first start introducing this stuff, you're right. It, it wouldn't even make those determinations. It would just not see a thing and just boom. And that's a problem. Then somebody figured out how to put like, what is it, white tape on street signs. And like, it wasn't seeing white semi trailers. It was, yeah, it's got a long way to go. I'm not going to lie. I think that's why they've shifted a little bit to to uh, help driving or, you know, not necessarily self-driving, but it's assisted driving type thing. Well, and they also got hit big time by the uh, National Highway and Safety, you know, for a lot of the things. I mean, the people were, were turning it on and sitting in the backseat of their car. And so they were they were starting to get kind of lawed on saying, this is what you have to do now to keep your car safe. Randy, did you see the Chrysler 300 hack that no one knew existed? No. He took off the headrest on the passenger seat. Okay. And you did a full recline. It matched up perfect with the back seat, so it was literally like a like, like a chaise lounge. Oh, nice! Like yeah, like literally, like uh, you stick your feet out and just drive, and like you know, I had no idea that existed. Somebody showed uh, posted on YouTube today, and I was like, oh my god, I would have bought a three hundred for that if I would have known. That's amazing. So Eddie, we got to hit on your uh, you're you're a podcaster. I was uh, I was like promoting the medium, promoting the brand. We've been doing this a long time, and uh, you're fairly new podcast, but you, you obviously you're passionate about it. Power on, you're talking about IT stuff, kind of like us, but you're a different flavor. Talk to me about that real quick. Yeah, so the Power On Podcast is our podcast. Me and my co-host, which is one of my employees, kind of started this thing. Actually, it was a year ago, I think yesterday, that we released our first episode, and it was crazy that a year has already flown by. And the the idea was we wanted to create a podcast, not just for IT people, but tech enthusiasts in general, to kind of get a flavor and taste of our world without having to be in it day in and day out. And so, you know, our podcast consists of everything from, you know, we do talk about business and enterprise IT, but very little. All the way down to we've talked about self-driving cars or electric cars. We've talked about smart home. We've talked about, you know, Alexa versus Google Home or Google Nest, right? We've talked about Twitter when the whole Twitter thing came out. Uh, and so we've taken people on the timeline through that whole mess of, of technology. And so it's really just, just a way for listeners who aren't in the world of technology to kind of get a taste and, and a feel for it 
if they're interested. It's really, uh, it's just kind of one of those, you know, put it on while you're driving, take a listen and, and kind of enjoy the show. There's no pitch. There's no, you know, it's not a business podcast. We're not trying to get leads out of the whole deal. It's just something that we enjoy doing or passionate about and kind of want to share that with people. So I got to ask you one of your, one of your top, one of the topics that stuck out the most was, uh, was why IT companies suck. Yes. And, uh, that's, uh, it's a bold statement, Cotton. It's a it's a broad statement. I wanna I wanna get your take on this. Yeah. Uh, in a nutshell, in our business, we're we're taking business from other IT companies, right? Because that's just how the competition game works. And it blows me away. It actually blows me away when our clients tell us some of the things that they went through with their past providers. Now, obviously, we're not getting the ones that are good per se, at least not yet, because they're happy. We're getting the ones that are stressed that are not, you know, thrilled. We're hearing stories like, you know, it's taking seven days to onboard a user that started seven days ago. And so that person has been sitting with no technology for seven days or, you know, they've had this issue on their docket for three months and have never fixed it. And I always want to take those as legitimate concerns as to why is it like that? Because I want to give people the benefit of the doubt. But more often than not, we inherit the, the, the long list of tickets from the past provider and a part of our onboarding process is like really heavy touch. We talk to everybody. We get in everyone's computer. It's not an automated thing. We want to get people kind of familiar with us and understand that they can trust us. And we have to do that because the PR of IT is just on the toilet, right? And so, mm-hmm. you know, we're best guys forward. We're, we're being really friendly on the phone. Customer service is really huge with us, right? And I can't tell you how many times we inherit 20 to 30 tickets and knock them out in like two to three days. And they're simple, simple tickets. And so it really frustrates me because I have a passion for this. This is not just a way for me to make money and go about my day. And in fact, I'm dumping all the money right back in because I'm excited about this thing. And so there's always a variety of reasons why IT companies suck. And I spell this on the podcast. You have people that are really interested in technology start a company. And then they start growing and they don't know how to manage it, right? They don't know how to spend the money. They don't know how to save the money. They don't know what kind of people to hire. And, and you know, like the, the whole common, there's a lot of arrogant people in IT, right? That's kind of the no. face of the IT guy, right? No. Surprise, surprise. surprise. And so, and, 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 but it's true. I mean, even with our, with competitors, we interact with these people when we're doing handoffs. And I just can't believe the things that come out of their mouth to clients who pay them money. The owners, not just, not just technicians, the owners, it, it blows me away. And, and so there's a variety of reasons you get someone who doesn't know how to work with people. Or you get someone who's really good at technology, not really good at business. So they're undercharging and they can't afford the right technology, the right people, the right processes. Or the thing that I hate the most is they, and we kind of talked about this already, they get into the business, they start seeing the dollars coming in and they're like, ooh, into my pocket. Ooh, into my pocket. Ooh, another dollar into my pocket, right? And they, they suffocate this baby business. And then they sit there in these, these consulting sessions that they pay money for. I don't know why I can't cross a million dollars. You know, it's like, well, you keep taking it all, not, you know, not, not jumping it in. And so the, the last thing I'll say about this really, unless you want to talk further is I took a clip from that podcast and threw it on LinkedIn, threw it on Facebook. And, and the only thing that I wrote in the caption was you have to water your business like you water your plants. Enough True. said, right? So no, it hit home because uh, our original blog pre-podcast was called Don't Be That Guy. And then it yeah. became an education series called How Not to Suck At. And I don't think, Randy, have we ever written How Not to Suck At being an IT company? I think that would be a good one, actually. 
I don't think that's something we've covered. That would be an easy. That would be that would be an easy write. It might be it might be long. I'll use ChatGTP for it. <laughs> I thought about using using that for blog posts. By the way, <laughs> well, I'd, I'd love for I'd love for you to listen to that and kind of give me your thoughts offline about kind of what you think on on my perspective of it because it literally frustrates me to my core because again I, I love this industry. I love what we do. I hate seeing the burnout of people. And by the way, part of it, I guess I'm talking more about it. Is making sure that you're treating your staff well, making sure that you're, you're that, listen, benefits are great, right? We always want to have the best of everything and we, we try to here, want to have the best pay, but ultimately too, you have to make a good working environment. You cannot overload people. You cannot expect people to work like the owner, right? Hey, if I'm hiring you for 40 hours and this is your job description, at least this is true in my company, that's it. This is your 40 hour week. This is your job description. Anything that falls outside of that is my problem until I hire it out. Right. See, you want to know the worst, what most companies forget to do weekly one on ones just to get the temperature and yeah. to talk like a human, not to go over analytics, not to go over. You did 72 tickets, but like talk like a human. And if you could see it in their eyes that they're like, all right, maybe it's time we hire someone or maybe it's time that we, yeah. you know, alleviate your loader. What, what are you passionate about? That's my biggest thing in it is yes. what do you really like doing? He goes, Oh, I love doing the tickets that are this like, cool. Maybe we'll make you a SME for that. And we'll bring someone else in for level one. And you know what I mean? Like there's just, right. you know, if you're not talking to your people, they're, 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 they're interviewing like, let's be candid. all day, every day. So in, in our, what we call our command center, right? We've got the desks and we've got screens up on the wall. that give you all the analytics and data that you ever would want. That's there. If you want to know and you want to, you want to go there, walk in, look at the screen. That's it. I'm with every single one of my team members daily, at least for five to 10 minutes. We'll walk in there. Talk to everybody. How's it going? Is there anything I can do to help you today? Anything, do you need me to jump on the desk, which I've done before? You know, obviously it's not really my, supposed to be my job role, but happy to help. Like, where can I help? Go talk to the sales team. Go talk to the marketing team. How can I be of assistance to you? Or do you just want me to go back to my office and hide for the rest of the day? Cause I can do that too. Like it, it's a people thing. And you, you mentioned something that's, that's near and dear to my heart. And you said the word passion. As you can tell, I love what I do. I love this industry. I love technology. And so. When we hire, hiring is a really, really, really big deal. I still have my hand in it and I, I, I don't know when I'll ever take my hand out of it if I ever do. I'm, I'm really, really like, I, it's a, it's a love hate relationship for me. I hate the resumes. I hate going through all of that. I, I even hate sometimes like doing the interviews, but to like find that person that kind of makes you excited about what you do again is like, I want you on my team. And so the way that we do hiring is we look at your passion. We look at emotional intelligence because that's what drives customer service. We look at, you know, how, how driven you are to the whole deal and, and how you work with our team. Because although you can have all these good qualities, maybe you just don't fit in with our team. And it's not that you're not going to work well. It's that you're going to feel out of place and not want to stay here. And our team is going to feel out of place that, you know, we just don't drive with each other. That's totally cool. But we look at all these things before I even take a look at what you know in the industry. Because if you don't check those boxes, if you can't work well, well with people, if you don't have the passion for this, you're not going to be driven to continue to do this. And, and you're going to go find a job somewhere else. And then if the job requires education or the job requires some kind of, you know, knowledge in the field, or if the job requires you to have X amount of years of experience, then we'll start looking down that. But I would rather take the chance on someone who has less experience, but, but is passionate about it, has emotional, emotional intelligence, knows how to work with people, knows how to read the room, right? Not be arrogant, you know, humble and all that stuff that has less experience than, than the guy who's been doing it for 10 years, who's the expert. But if you got them on the phone, you'd lose a client, right? I would, I would take the, I would take and train that, you know, beginner person any day of the week. So that was, uh, 
something I've been super passionate about and I've been stomping my feet, especially for consultants uh, on my side of the world. And I said, the only reason that you're in that seat right now is either to make our clients money or to save our clients money. Like that's it. Um, some fixing problems is saving money, you know? So I, I knew a friend of mine is, is on the verge of getting laid off. He can speak and feel it. He's been with the same company almost 17 years. Wow. And I said, let me, you, you got to look at your resume. Cause it's, you, you said two things, but I, I added a third. I go, it's, what do you know? What have you done? And what impact did you have in the business? He goes, shit, I never thought of it that way. I go, do you think you were there? Cause you, cause you were a good coder. They don't care. You were there for uptime. Why is that uptime to make money? So like, um, you know, granted you cost them, but you, you know, they saved it by not being down anyway. Uh, to me, that was, a uh, uh, something that I'm like, I can't believe, you know, that that's still a, that's still a question mark is, oh, I had, what impact did I have in the business? I didn't think of that. So yeah. anyway, Eddie, we're going to cut you loose, man. This is a great talk. We could probably talk for another three, four hours, but it's a, you know, half an hour show. So, uh, I, I sincerely appreciate the time. Eddie Eda, CEO, E&E Tech. We're going to put all his contact information in show notes. Uh, really appreciate the time. We look forward to having you back sometime. Thank you, man. It was a pleasure. I'd love to come back anytime. Awesome. Awesome. So, hey, we're going to wrap things up. Episode 453 on behalf of Bob and Randy. Do us all a favor. Drink up your drinks. Get your phone numbers. You don't got to go home. You just got to get the hell out of here. See you next week. Drive careful. Beat it.